0: Today, I am joined by Valerie Anderson. Valerie is a social justice educator. She is a group facilitator and she has over 25 years of experience as a master level social worker. Valerie is also certified as the facilitator of the positive parenting program and she works with a variety of population in a variety of settings in the Philadelphia area. So we're going to be talking to her about how she got started and what she does and kind of talk about that positive parenting program. Valerie, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Why don't you start off by kind of telling everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got into what what you're doing now.
1: Okay. So... I'm a social worker, and I think like folks who like helping people, you kind of figured it out sometimes when you're young what kind of profession you might want to be in and, and how you want to help people. The thing with me, with social worker, I think first I was thinking about psychology because I loved reading Essence Magazine when I was a teenager and reading the advice column, Dr. Gwendolyn Goldsley Grant. And I would just read like people's questions about things in life and what they were going through and then how she would answer their questions. And so that kind of like counseling, that kind of seeking and knowledge about yourself or trying to improve yourself or things you're concerned about, that really intrigued me. And so I said, wow, I want to get into a profession where I can help people discover about themselves and just kind of. Talk about the different emotions and feelings they're having and the relationships that they're in. So when I was searching for a profession for that, I was thinking about psychology. Like, oh, I could be a psychologist. I could talk to people about their problems and their feelings and their emotions. And somehow that didn't hit it, maybe because you had to go to school too long for that. So I was like, well, I think I wanna go into school for eight years or whatever after high school. So then I stumbled on social work, it seems like, in in my search. And in the stumbling on social work, it was a little different because not only was it talking about individual going through something and you helping that individual, it started to look at the individual as part of a community. So the individual in the different settings they would be in an individual in the family, an individual in the neighborhood, an individual in the school, in all these different systems that you can be in or communities that you can be in. So that kind of made me feel even more excited about, oh, this profession sounds really good. I think I would like this even more. And then that began my journey with social work. I just felt like, yeah, I I can reach more people and just instead of one, we can talk to the whole family. Instead of one, we can talk to the group. Instead of one, we can talk to the neighborhood. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much how I kind of moved into to social work and glad I did.
0: Well, speaking of helping a lot of people, you've worked with a variety of populations in a variety of settings. So talk about the variety of people that you do work with with your work.
1: Yeah. Oh, of course. It is a variety. So first of all, let me a little bit say something about social work also is that it is a profession where you are helping people and you're helping people in need and you are helping people who are vulnerable, people who are marginalized and people who are often oppressed. So that was another thing, like looking at that, like how do I help people with those kinds of concerns and and issues living in our society and how society treats them. So that led me to work with people who I've worked with folks who were living with HIV AIDS. I've worked with folks who are in recovery. I worked with young people, young teenage moms. I've worked with There's so many different folks in the hospital. I think that was my first social work job at the age of 25. Folks in the hospital who, you know, you're in the hospital and you're sick, and who, when you leave, is going to help take care of you. Some folks have resources, they don't need social work for that because when they discharge from the hospital, their family's going to take care of them. They can go somewhere. But there were people who were in the hospital who didn't have. A lot of resources or might not have had someone that was going to be able to help them recover when they left the hospital. So I was working in those settings and and helping to bring family members together or neighbors or the church or someone that was going to help this person that was going to be discharged from the hospital. And so those were the variety of settings, I think about halfway houses, folks, I, i worked with women who were incarcerated and then coming out of prison in a halfway house to re-enter back into their families and their neighborhoods and their communities. So always in those settings. And, And then going into people's homes, which were fascinating, to kind of help people in their space, help find resources for them or to help their house be more safe for them and their children. So I think I'm mixing populations and settings together. But I've been doing this, and Curtis, I need to correct myself because I said 25 years, it's been actually 35 years. So my memory, I mean, it's just so much that I'm trying to like to give you, and just thinking about and reflecting on this is just amazing, and I feel honored that I had this kind of work to do.
0: Yeah, and you've, you've definitely helped a lot of people over those 35 years. Speaking of that, tell us about the positive parenting program i know that you're a certified facilitator of that tell us kind of what that program does and how that helps people in another facet of your work
1: okay so the power of positive program triple p power of positive program is a program that helps parents learn skills to help to help their children it's based on parents who have kids usually in tr- early childhood centers and those kids are you know, usually about like three, four, five years old. The curriculum is for zero to 12, but I've been using the curriculum pretty much with parents who have children in early childhood centers. What I, what I like about it, and I wanna add this, is that the power of positive parenting, it's a curriculum that I use as a social worker to help facilitate support groups for people. I use different tools to help facilitate support in working with different groups and being certified as a a parent, a facilitator for parenting groups through positive parenting. It's my way to kind of talk to parents about how they help empower and raise their children. It's really positive. It talks about how we are as parents not to do harm to our children. And a lot of times when we think about harm for our children, And sometimes and being a social worker and knowing sometimes I've worked with vulnerable families who may have done some harm to their children physically, this is looking at there's other ways that we may harm our children, and that's emotionally, right, mentally and spiritually. So this curriculum is trying to say, how can we help develop this next generation? How do we help grow our children in a positive way and we don't break their spirit. Right. We don't physically harm them. We don't do things to harm them, but we're positive in how we help them. So they give you a bunch of strategies and how to do that. And I'm gonna tell you, Curtis, the strategies are very simple. They're very easy. But I think when, you know, we're busy, we got a lot of things that's going on. And sometimes I don't think we notice exactly what we're doing. Some of the positive things and then sometimes the negative things, but there's things that we can really correct. And it doesn't have to take a lot, but slowing down and being present with our kids. So for example, one of the strategies is that that you wanna have a positive learning environment for your kid, right? So that means that you wanna not only positive learning, but also safe environment. So that means is that when your kid is in the home, you're looking at your home and how is this home a safe place for my kid, right? How are things when they're little placed in places that are high up so they can't reach it so they can't hurt themselves right basic stuff are the sockets having plugs in them basic stuff so that they can be safe so they can roam the house and also so i don't have to be worried and yelling at them all the time to get away from something because i didn't make my house safe for them to roam right so it's just like little strategies like like thinking about something like that if i make my home safe then maybe I'm not yelling as much and my kid is roaming and we can just have a comfortable environment. It talks about you being the first teacher, right? So, and how do you do that? Like you talk to your child, you ask questions, you label things, you give things names. And so then they see, they hear that and then they start to repeat after you. So those are things, you you know, you don't always answer questions for them. You have them trying to figure out and you help them figure things out. It talks about how you discipline your kid, right? So, you know, I don't know if some of us growing up, we got disciplined in physical ways, but discipline really just means to teach. And so how are we positively teaching our children in ways that are not harmful, but still firm, right? Because we want them to be able to do things. We want them to be independent and self-sufficient. The reason why I think that we give rules or guidelines to our kids in the first place is not to have Not to be able to say, do as I say, I'm the parent, these are my rules, live by my rules. No, in the power of positive parenting, we are setting rules and guidelines because we wanna keep you safe. We want you to be independent and self-sufficient. We want you to learn how to handle those emotions that you have. And so these are the only reasons as parents that we're giving you guidelines or rules is because we love you and we want you to be able to be independent know how to communicate with people, know how to manage those emotions and learn how to solve some problems. So when you think about why I'm giving rules to my kids on that, on that wavelength, you're gonna be more positive. I'm not doing this to hurt you and to harm you. I'm telling you to clean up your room so you can be safe and so you can have a nice environment, right? So you can be independent. I'm telling you how to cook so you can take care of yourself. I'm doing these guys, I'm telling you not to yell. I'm I'm telling you how to talk to people so that you can get along because you're gonna have teachers and bosses and folks you're gonna work for or if you're gonna be running your own company, you won't have to know how to talk to people. So that's why I'm teaching you how to say please and thank you and watch your tone and how you speak. So it's those kind of little things that we pause and talk about in the power of positive parenting so that parents can kind of really just build an independent young person so they can go out in the world and be independent and be able to take care of themselves and be self-sufficient.
0: Well, that's the parenting side. But I came to one of your presentations and you were talking about how to raise competent kids and and you gave some good points on that so talk about that how also you are a positive parent with the things that you just mentioned but you also can raise competent kids and help them and improve their self-esteem
1: okay so Curtis is taking me through the curriculum for real <laughs> but really with the you know, raising confident and confident children, they give you like some building blocks, right, to do that. And I think I alluded a little bit to it too, but one of the building blocks is, right, is that you're kind of like, you know, you're teaching your kid how to respect other people, right? And I had said when I was talking about this is like, we don't do enough social, emotional learning with our children, I mean, as a society, not just parents, because I think in thinking about this, this takes a village to raise a kid, We talk about that all the time. So this is not all on parents alone. I think there's aunties and uncles and people in the neighborhood. We all have to take responsibility in raising these kids. And raising them to be conscious of themselves and others is a skill that, to me, needs to go along with math, science, and reading. So every time a kid is having a math class, science class, or reading class, they need to have a social, emotional learning class as well. These are, th- these are skills that we have to teach. I also remind people every time I'm doing a parenting class that parenting itself is a skill. And people don't even think of it like that. You have to practice being a positive parent. You have to practice strategies and things to help your kid grow, right? So we love them unconditionally. And so sometimes we think, all right, we just had a kid and we love them. And that's all we need to do. That's all we need to know. But it's more than that. And so, it's a skill set. And like any skill set, the more you practice it, the better you get it. So, in thinking about that and in thinking about raising confident and competent children, there's some skills you have to teach. There's also things that you have to model as a parent. Kids are like watching us, they feel us, they know us. And so, they learn from us. Again, we are their first teachers. And so, um, we got to take that role seriously. And then looking at the competent and confident child, when I talked about how you just want to teach them how to be polite, that just goes back to please and thank you. That's courteous. Respecting other people. Knocking on the door before you enter. Phone etiquette. You know, how you speak to people. I think in my my neighborhood, I noticed, you know, I'm I'm a little older, and I noticed how some of the kids come and say, hey, hi, Miss Val. Or how even their parents say, did you speak to Miss Val? Didn't you just see her? Did you say hi? And they grow up doing that. And there's parents who like teaching that respect and it's modeled and, and, and that's just how you, how you do it. So you use that with the please and thank you. That's something. Well, also we have to teach our kids empathy. Empathy is a step further. It's, it's deeper. It's being considerate. It's thinking about how other people feel. And if we can kind of teach that I wonder how much we would like stop some of this bullying and the violence that are going on in our communities if kids were learning how to be thoughtful of other people, right? So you think about, you know, how you have to take care of yourself, but how loving and taking care of yourself can also move into how you treat other people. And that's something, like I said, it needs to be start early, often, and all the time, like we teach everything else. Some of the other helping kids have good communication skills. I was talking about that in general because positive parenting is about all these things and then they have curriculum that gets more specific into it. But you do have to teach your kid how to communicate. And part of teaching your kids how to communicate is you talking to your kid. Like us talking to our children, asking them how their day was, spending that quality time. Quality is different than quantity, right? So my thing is that if you are giving your kid your undivided attention, for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, right? That can go a long way. Sometimes we say, oh, I'm with my kid all day. I'm in the room with my kid for two hours. I'm in... But if you're in the room with your kid two hours and you're on the phone talking to your girlfriend or you're watching TV or you're doing all these other things, you're not really with your kid, right? So that quality time, spending time with them doesn't have to be a lot. It has to be quality. And quality can be frequent. I'm sidetracking a minute for because I think I'm, I'm thinking of all my other jobs, Curtis, that I had. One of my jobs when I was working with families who were living with HIV/AIDS, we would go into the homes and we would videotape moms, because it was predominantly our caseload was women living with HIV/AIDS, playing with their children. We would videotape them for 20 minutes, undirected. which wasn't like we weren't scripted. We just said, We want you to play with your kid. And so we would watch that interaction with their kid. And then what we were learning is that how they played with them. Did they read to them? Did they follow their kid's cue? Which means that if the kid wanted to move over and do this, did you go with that? Or did you keep pushing what you wanted the kid to play with? Or did you try to follow the kid's lead and then learn what they were doing? So it's just another way of just having relationships with our kids and spending quality time with them, 20 minutes. That was a 20 minute out of your whole day, you were just concentrating on that child. So I just think that those are just kind of skills that we can practice and we can build and that can help our kids learn how to communicate and form relationships with us. That's gonna help serve them having relationships with other people in the future. The other thing is healthy self-esteem, right? And I use thinking about healthy self-esteem is how do we give affirmations to our kids? How do we affirm them? you know, and I'm not trying to get real deep, sometimes, you know, particularly children of color, like sometimes they're not affirmed, right? And it's been in my other social work gigs that I do, because I am an independent contractor, I am an independent social worker. So I, that's another reason that I'm doing things in a lot of different settings and with a lot of different populations. One of my roles is to try to help affirm children right, and saying positive things about them. We see so much negative, even sometimes as parents. When our kids are doing something well, we don't stop and say something about it. We always say something when they're not doing something well, or they're doing something that irritates us. We give attention to that, but why don't we catch them doing something good sometimes? What about if your kids is playing nicely, and you just noticed that, and you said something to them? What about if they sharing sometimes, and you notice they're not fussing and fighting, you go over there and say, oh, I love how y'all sharing. Oh, I love how y'all talking to each other. Oh, I love how you're doing this. Like, if we acknowledge the positive, look for it, it's always there, then our kids are going to want to please us more because they know that we're not just yelling every time something's wrong. So it's just so many ways to kind of just build their self-esteem. The curriculum said something about self-esteem, too, that I thought was, I've never seen this anywhere, and thinking about self-esteem being related to a kid having a safe environment. So like it helps the kid to know when they're gonna eat, when they're gonna to go to sleep, when they're gonna take a bath. Like some of that routine helps a kid feel good about themselves, their hygiene. We know that helps them feel good about themselves but having a home that is safe, that I know that I can roam, that I know that when mealtime is coming Like I said, working with vulnerable populations and kids who are transient, moving from one place to the next because they're homeless and they're in a shelter or they're moving around, they might not know when mealtime is coming. They might not know where we're gonna lay our head at tonight. You know, so when we can have those things be a routine and be something that they can predict in their lives, it helps build self-esteem and safety. So, that's just another one of the principles of raising confident and competent children. And then the last two was just really about helping them be problem solvers, you know, helping them look at a problem and think about different solutions on how we can solve it. You know, you got to know your kid's age range to do some of these things, and I know that. So we give in these groups, we give them all, but you know, you have to think about how to apply it based on your kid's age, which is important to know too. And then the last one to them help a kid be independent and self-sufficient is to, I mean, to be confident and, and competent is to help them be independent, to help them know how to dress, to help them know how to get up in the morning and get ready for school. All those kind of things help them feel confident in themselves, that they can accomplish something. And if you set things up, set goals and things up for them so they can accomplish something, they can feel good. And that's part of knowing your kid, knowing your kid's age. And what their abilities are, but set, them, set them up for success. Set them up to meet some goals, you know, and then you can stretch and make those goals a little bit more challenging for them. But you want to set them for success. So that's a little bit about some of the confident and competent kinds of skills and strategies you can use to help to help your children.
0: I just got a couple of more questions for you. The first one is... You also, tell us about your volunteer work within the African-American community. I know you do the museum and a church there in Philly. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Oh, all right. That's that's my passion. So I have to, I'm going to link it to social work in a minute in a way to let you know that when when you're doing social work and you're doing it, social work with groups, that's something that I started to do more when I talk about the different populations I serve. We're doing it in groups, just like the parenting is a group. And when you do a group with people, you set the tone for people to feel safe to talk. That's one thing you do as a social worker. So when I was doing HIV support groups, parenting groups, groups with wellness groups, any kind of group that I was doing, which I love group work, the goal is to help the group feel comfortable and safe to talk about the things that they're going to talk about. Right? And so that's a skill that I started to learn. Like how do, I, how do I help everybody's voice be heard? How do I help when people say something that they feel empowered in what they said? I'm not judging what they said and I'm making sure that the group's not judging what they said. So then we set up guidelines so that we can feel safe in the space to talk about sometimes painful, vulnerable things. Right. So that's the skill that I, I've done over, like I said, over 30 years and got really good as a group facilitator. Then I'ma tell you the truth. Social work can be, it can burn you out when you're dealing with a lot of people with a lot of different needs and, and concerns and issues, and then lacks of lack of resources to help them, and you're hearing stories that are painful and you're sitting with it it can be a lot. They call it compassion fatigue. You can get fatigued because you're carrying it so much. So what I I had to do to help myself continue to do this work is I had to get a breathing space. I had to pull back a a little bit and look at some other things that helped to take care of Valerie. And one of those things became being a volunteer docent at the African-American Museum in Philadelphia, and a place called the Church of the Advocate that's in North Philadelphia. And because I'm a lover of Black art, history, and culture in particular, even though I love art in general, but particularly African-American art, history, and culture, I was like, wow, what can I do to have my passion, work my passion in my life? and museums became that thing. Museums are places where there's art, there's history, and there's culture, and you can help people talk about that. So just the fact that I'm a group facilitator in other areas, I got a chance to go to an African-American Museum, and the exhibits would change every three months. But you would have a variety of people coming in that were kids up to adults and older, families coming from family reunions, And my role was just to have them look at art, give them some history and then have them interpret it, talk about it. And it became the most beautiful thing because sometimes in in art and poetry, you interpret, you don't always have to have the right answer to give your perspective and thought about something, right? Now I'm gonna be accurate when I'm giving you the history and the dates about something, but when you look at art, Or when you hear a poem, right, which is another tool that I use to kind of talk to people and you hear these words, you interpret what it means to you. And then other people hear you say what it means to you. And then next thing you know, we're having dialogue and whatever that thing is we're looking at or hearing becomes richer because so many perspectives came to the table to talk about that thing. So, It was just a way to heal me, to open up my world, to have people that young and old talk about what it is they think, feel, see, and hear and healed me, helped me do the work when it was more difficult and challenging, knowing that I can get into the arts And then I can get with people and they don't have to have the right answer just to tell what this piece of painting makes them think about or what this poem makes them think about. So using those those tools for me as a social worker and a group facilitator has become the way that I really like to do things moving forward. I like to use any curriculum, even Curtis, the parenting, the curriculum is the curriculum. Okay, it's a curriculum, but I like to use that curriculum to generate dialogue and discussion to have parents talk about, you know, what is your experience like being a parent? And then somebody else will say, this has been my experience. And we know now, no curriculum that I got as far as going back to parenting was written to deal with a pandemic. They just didn't think that was happening, right? So now when we have our parenting classes and even though I'm bringing in the curriculum, I'm listening to the parents talk about their experience parenting during a pandemic, and then somebody else will chime in, and then somebody else will give it. And so when you do groups like that or tours at the museum like that, people start to become a community. All voices get to be heard, and it's just a phenomenal thing to sit and witness and facilitate because the word facilitate really means to make easy My role as a group facilitator is to make it easy for folks to talk, for folks to dialogue, for folks to feel safe to express their thoughts and their opinions and their feelings. And it doesn't have to be a right or wrong, it's just your experience and you bring that experience to the room. So in that sense, I'm just loving what I do. I'm just loving what I do.
0: Do you have any upcoming projects that you're working on or any presentations or anything like that that people need to know about?
1: Well, it's it's something I'm just doing on a personal level with families and friends. But I do this thing called 30-Minute Art Break. And I have my family from Florida. My, sisters live in Mar- my sister lives in Maryland, Delaware, then I have friends from Philly, and we all gather on Zoom. And what I do is I show them a piece of art And we talk about African Black artists and we talk about their work and we use that art to generate discussion. And I really came about doing this right after the George Floyd incident in our country. So my purpose at that time was to make sure that we had other images than the images that we see of Black folks dying, knees on necks, and all those kind of images that embedded, you know, through the news you hear it, this is described over and over and over. And then it's like, we're relegated to just trauma and grief. And so my thing is that how do I use art to show the joys of black life? And And it's not new because there's other people been doing this movement of, and it's called the black joy movement. And in Philadelphia, this woman has started, I think it's the museum of black joy or something like that. And I think it's virtual too, but it's this, this whole thing of giving people other images and having other dialogue around Black folks and not just looking at us as victims and, and traumatized, but looking at us as individuals and human beings and helping our children see that part of us as well. So that that's, that's some of the stuff I'm working on. And as you know, Curtis working with uh, with you and, and doing parenting with world population of folks so I'm just I'm grateful
0: absolutely how can people connect with you if they want to keep up with your work you have any websites or are you on social media anything like that
1: you know what no I'm not that person America I am not that person this is amazing I just love what I do I you know, I have an email, that's about it. I'm still old school with some stuff. I might have to get to the 21st century and I will in good time. <laughs> but basically it's really me. When you talk about how you you said you, you like to talk to people who teach, inspire and motivate. And I just think that me sharing with social work, how as a social worker, I've been able to teach, motivate and inspire people, to empower people. That's just my... That's my job. And so I might not have a platform for it any other way as far as social media, but I just show up. And when the pandemic is over, we will be going back in person in some settings. And some settings might be hybrid, but we'll, we we'll still be on Zoom. But my person just loves the work that I do. So therefore, I don't feel like I have to retire because I can continue to do this work and motivate people and empower people and social work model comes from a strength-based model. It comes from looking at strengths. People may have some vulnerabilities and be marginalized, but there's strength. And there's other things that we need to help them see about themselves. They need to help them see about themselves. The community needs to see about themselves. So that's just me just doing, doing my work.
0: Well, i definitely like to take the time to thank you for joining me because The stuff that we talked about today is things that we know that they're out there, but we don't really necessarily realize how important they are until they're brought to the forefront. So listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, and share this to as many people as possible. You know, a lot of us out here got kids and you you take for granted that this stuff is, oh, everybody should know this or it's simple, but you never know when somebody can hear it. And oh, I didn't think about it that way. So, and Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living a Dream with Curveball podcast app. And Valerie, I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today and the knowledge that you provided.
1: Thank you. I
0: enjoyed it. You made it easy. You helped facilitate it easy for me. <laughs>